0: morning everyone Um, we're carrying on in our series looking at unexpected people in the bible who god works through and i guess if there's one key point that i want to make this morning it's that um, as we look at these different unexpected people god works through what we see is that them becoming more like christ so them becoming the people that god created them to be to do the things that god is asking them to do is not something that is an instant fix It is something that takes a gradual transformation. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning as we look at Peter. We're going to look at the contrast between a gradual change that happens over a long period of time versus the instant fix that our culture often talks about. So when you get to work or if you're on holiday this week, maybe on Tuesday morning, I want you to remember that God is interested in a deep, gradual change in each and every one of us not simply a quick, instant fix. So I'm going to repeat that a lot because we don't always remember the things that we hear. Um, this will all depend on your age, but do you remember when you first got the internet at home? Some people will be young enough to think, well, we've always had the internet at home. There was a life before the internet? But anyone remember when you first got the internet at home? Hands up. Okay, we're all in that kind of age range here. We are all digital immigrants. Um, I remember when we first got the internet at home. It was a very exciting moment. Do you remember the noise? As you picked up the phone and then dad would shout up the stairs, Rich, get off the internet. I'm like, dad, I'm on MSN. I'm on MSN. Before the days of Facebook, MSN chat rooms were where it was at for the young people, just showing my age again. And I remember I used to use the service, um, not legal, but I still used it, Napster. Anyone else use Napster here? You could get loads of free songs. Well, you stole loads of free songs. And it used to take forever to download one song. I would sit there, MSN on one screen, um, up open on one window, Napster open on the other. I'd click download. I'd start chatting to my friends. I'd go and check back. I'd keep chatting to my friends. I'd check back again. Keep chatting. To them. I'm not even downloading a long Led Zeppelin track or anything like that. It's a three-minute pop song. But it used to take about half an hour to get down on the internet. But I waited because I really wanted it. Whereas Transform Forward with me now to today, and our B- BBC Sport app is my Achilles heel of distraction. I will be on the BBC Sport app, and I'll be bringing up the Ashes highlights as are currently going on. And if that video does not play instantly, if I get that spirally, buffering wheel happening, I am frustrated. Why is my video not playing in a second? We have such short memories, but we live in such an instant culture. Gone are the days of Napster. Now, if I want an album, I predict play on Spotify, I can get it instantly and it will just stream. If I want to watch the next episode of a show, will it just load it up without me even having to press a button? I don't have to, I remember when 24, the series first came out, you have to wait a week for the next hour of the TV show. Now you can watch 24 hours in 24 hours or 20 hours and all the ad breaks or however it worked out. When we want to buy something, we don't have to save up for it. We just get the credit and buy it. We get it instantly. If we take a photo that we don't like, well, we just put a filter on it and make it the photo that we do like. Even the microwave. I love the microwave. but It just speeds up eating. (laughs) We're in such an instant culture. Everything around us just tells us that we can have what we want instantly. We can be who we want. Instantly. But I just don't think it's true. And I think sometimes we can actually allow that to feed into how we understand our growth as disciples of Jesus or as followers of Jesus. Sometimes I think we can even fall into the trap in our church that ministry time, and I love ministry time, I think it's great to respond and come for prayer. But I think sometimes we can allow the instantaneous culture that we live in to filter into the ministry time that we respond to afterwards because we think God works in the same way. I just want you to do an instant fix. I just want you to line up the next episode in my life now. I don't want to have to wait. But what I think we'll see as we look at Peter's life is that the instant fix culture that we live in is not how God works. God is interested in long-lasting, deep change. And my message this morning isn't necessarily that exciting, but long-lasting, deep change comes through gradual transformation. It comes through the long haul. Think about some of the best relationships you have. Me and Kit have lived in this area for two years now. We're starting to feel like we're making proper friendships. You don't make good friendships instantly. It's the same in our relationship with God. Our relationship with him grows over time. The transformation happens over time. In Psalm 1 verse 3, you read the verse that says that the person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season. I think the reason why gradual transformation happens over time is because we need to have deep roots if we're going to be a strong tree that's going to bear fruit. If a tree grows too quickly and doesn't have good roots, when winds come, the tree's just going to fall over. And actually the experience in my life is my early years as a Christian, I was very passionate about following this Jesus who i just met, who had just transformed my life. But I didn't have deep roots at all. And so when things happened in life, I was like a young tree just getting blown over all the time and constantly needing to be replanted again. And my experience, ongoing experience, is that the deep roots have to grow if we're going to bear the fruit that God wants to bear through our lives. Peter is a fascinating character in the Gospels and in Acts. Um, I really like him because he's a very all or nothing character. He doesn't really do moderation. Um, He has lots of moments where he's like, no, don't just wash my feet, wash my whole body, Jesus. He is a full on character. He's a passionate character. And he's one of the unexpected people that God walks through. What I want to do is just look at a few snapshots of Peter's life. So kind of do a quick biography of this is your life, Peter, and then land in one passage in Acts 10, um, where we're just going to unpack a bit more this idea of the gradual transformation uh, that Peter went through. So Peter gets called to uh, follow Jesus. He says yes to following Jesus. He is the one who walks on water. What a mountaintop moment that must have been. Yes, he does start to drown again, but I'd still like to walk on water for a few seconds and then drown a little bit. Um, He has that moment. He witnesses the transfiguration. He's one of the three that gets taken up the mountain with Jesus and they see him transfigured. And Moses and Elijah come and stand and they say, should we build some tents here? And Jesus is like, no, don't build tents here. You haven't got the right idea there, Peter. Not long after witnessing the transfiguration, when Jesus tells Peter that he's going to go to Jerusalem, and he's going to die. Peter says, no, that can't happen to you. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Peter's often getting the wrong end of the stick with Jesus. He's an unexpected hero because he's not always um, capturing things right away. He's kind of thinking that the idea is one thing and then going in another direction. And Jesus is like, no, Peter, come back here, come back here. He has the mountaintops and then he has the valleys. We see it carrying on in uh, the Gospels where Jesus tells Peter, you're going to be the rock upon which I will build my church. Wow, what a big calling he gives to Peter. But then when Jesus has been arrested and Peter is sat round the fire and someone says, Peter, do you know this man, Jesus? Peter denies him three times. He meets his lowest point. At this point, he has spent three years with Jesus But he's still got a lot of work to be done in him for him to become the person that God had created him to be. Peter is one of the witnesses to the resurrection and he's one of the witnesses to the ascension where Jesus goes to the right hand of the father. And then he is in the room with 119 other people um, waiting for the spirit to come. And then at Pentecost, we see this famous moment where the Spirit comes and everyone thinks that all of these people are drunk. And Peter stands up in front of a crowd and says, no, they're not drunk. This is what's happening. And he preaches this famous sermon where then 3,000 people give their lives to the Lord. And often with Peter, we then say, and this is when Peter made it. This is when he got it all sorted in his head. But the passage I want to look at is a little later on. It's in Acts 10. Um, If you've got one of these Bibles, it's on page 1,104. Um, We're not going to look at the whole of Acts 10. I'm going to paraphrase bits and read some bits of verses because it's quite a long passage. Um, But basically what's happening in Acts 10 uh, is we're with Peter and we're going to read verses 9 to 16 and verses 27 to 29. And then I'll give you some context around it. Um, And just try and draw out some of this gradual transformation that we're seeing in Peter's life. So this is Acts 10 verses 9 to 16. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheep was taken back to heaven. Then we're going to jump to verses 27 to 29. While talking with him, and I'll explain who the him is in a minute, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Now, the person Peter is speaking to there is a person called Cornelius. Cornelius was a God-fearing Gentile. A Gentile was anyone who wasn't a Jewish person. And up, up till this point in the Acts of the Apostles, everyone thought that the gospel was only for Jewish people. Jesus was a Jewish Messiah. He was the Savior or the King of the Jews. And that's who he had come to save. And Jewish people did not interact with Gentile people. But Peter's gone up onto this roof and he's had this vision. And it's a very weird passage. Acts and the Gospels are full of lots of weird passages. In fact, the Bible is full of weird passages. But Peter gets this vision of all of these things that he shouldn't eat. If you ever read Leviticus in your Bible in a year, where they talk about all these hooved animals that you shouldn't eat, this is what Peter's thinking about when he's saying, but I shouldn't eat anything unclean. And the vision is telling Peter, no, what I have, do not call unclean what I have made clean. It is preparing Peter's heart for the first moment that the Gentiles, anyone who's not a Jewish person, hears the gospel. Because before Peter had this vision, he would never have gone in the house of a Gentile. In fact, his opening line when he starts to preach the gospel is, you know that I shouldn't be here. And yet I'm here because God's spirit has shown me to not call unclean what he has made clean. He actually says, I now know that God has no favorites, which is a line that I love. But something that we sometimes miss when we read Acts is that Acts of the Apostles occurs over a 30 to 35 year period. In fact, in some spaces between one verse and another, there's a four year gap. Luke, the writer of Acts, is not a historian in the way that we understand historians. And so the gap in time between Peter's preaching at Pentecost, when 3,000 people gave their lives to the Lord, and this vision that he's had on the rooftop when he then goes to Cornelius, is somewhere between 8 to 10 years. A lot has happened in Peter's life between Pentecost and this moment. And in those eight to 10 years, Peter, I am arguing, has gone through this gradual transformation where he's come to a place where he's finally able to understand that the gospel is even for the Gentiles. Peter's transformation did not happen the moment he started following Jesus. Peter's transformation took up to this point 13 years of him following Jesus, of him getting some things right and some things wrong. He will continue, I think, to get some things right and some things wrong in his life of following Jesus. He eventually does give his life for following Jesus. He is one of the people who's martyred for the faith. But the point I'm trying to make is, sometimes when we read the Gospels, and sometimes when we read Acts, we can read them and think, well, my life doesn't look anything like that. Because I'm not seeing all of these huge instant transformation moments happening every other second. Because that's what it feels like. But actually there's a lot of time passing in a lot of these stories. And the time is passing because it takes time for us to become the people that God has created us to be. If you or I were to do the things that God eventually wants us to do when we first became a Christian, I think it might overwhelm us. I think it's a bit like sending a toddler to go and do their A-levels. They're just not ready for it yet. They would have a tantrum and cry because you're asking them to sit in an exam room quietly. I sometimes feel like a toddler when God asks me to do other things and I have a tantrum and I cry. The point I'm making is our culture tells us that you can become who you want to be like that almost. Just put the filter on your life that you want to. God is saying... No, I do a deep work with you. We journey together. I, he journeyed with Peter to get him to a point where he would actually go into Cornelius' house. I think the question we're being asked this morning is, what is God working on in your life at the moment? Where is it that he's asking you to persevere? How are you currently being molded and shaped? Or is it the case of, you're actually wondering, what on earth is God doing in my life? I don't feel like he's doing anything whatsoever. And I want to suggest to you, hang in there. I think he is still at work in your life, even at the moments when we're not sure where he is and he feels completely distant. I believe in those moments, God's spirit is still working, maybe growing in us the fruit of perseverance, (laughs) the most unsexy fruit of the spirit. (laughs) Because perseverance is vital for the life of faith. Do you remember recently we had a Bethel team come to the church? Um, and they did loads of different stuff with us. And, and I was, um, to be honest with you, I was quite skeptical about the Bethel team coming. Um, culturally, I find American culture, some elements of it I resonate with. Other elements of it make me feel uncomfortable. Um, and I went to the session around evangelism. Um, because I am passionate about people coming to know Jesus. But I'm a bit of a reluctant sharer of my faith. I care too much about what people think about me. Um, and we, went, we came for this Saturday morning, and we got kind of envisioned about what we were going to do. And then we got sent out onto the streets of Kingston to go and talk to the people that God was guiding us to speak with. And I was terrified. And uh, I went with a friend of mine and we went out onto the streets and we were walking around looking for the person that we felt God was guiding us to speak to. We went and sat in places and kind of just waited. And uh, my friend, he felt like God asked him to go and speak to someone. And so he bravely approached that person and went to speak to them. And I, he came back and told me how it went and nothing really happened. Um, but they had he had this encounter. We carried on walking around and I didn't feel like I was meant to speak to anyone slash didn't want to speak to anyone. And we walked around and I had a great chat with my friend who we were out with. And we came back to the church and we sat down and I heard lots of other stories of how everyone else had spoken to someone out there in Kingston. I didn't. And I, I went home feeling awful because I felt like an abject failure because I hadn't even managed to go and chat to one person on this trip out into the streets of Kingston and I was in this moment of saying God what is going on I have been a Christian now for 12 years I think I was more bold in my faith when I first met you than I am now what on earth is going on are you really working in my life and the answer I got is one that I'm still trying to discern because the answer I think was, yes, I am still working in your life. But I actually think what God was showing me is you're not as fixed as you thought you were. You've still got a lot of work to go, Rich. We still need to do some work in you to, to enable you to become the person you wanted to be. I want you to be. The reason I share that story is because we often share st- Rightly, we share stories that are faith-building, where someone stepped out and something's happened. Well, I'm sharing a story where I didn't step out, and unsurprisingly, nothing happened. (laughs) But God's Spirit is still at work in my life. I am a work in progress. There is a gradual transformation happening. And one of the reasons I think when I first became a Christian, an analogy I use to try and explain this, one of the reasons I think I was kind of more bold then, and I'm going to end on this analogy, is when we first become a Christian, it's like the light gets switched on in a bedroom. So we become a Christian and the light gets switched on. And we look around that room and we see it is a mess. Imagine kind of teenager bedroom in a mess, the worst you could imagine, or student bedroom. There's dirty plates, there's moldy pint glasses, there's like dirty washing piled up over here. The bed's not made, it stinks. And when the early days of becoming a Christian, it's pretty easy to tidy up that bedroom, Well, you just take out the dirty washing, you put it in the washing machine, you do the washing up, you kind of hoover the carpet a bit, you make the bed, you put the clothes away, and the room all of a sudden looks pretty respectable. It looks like a tidy room. I think what God showed me when I went out on the streets and didn't chat to anyone whatsoever is you think you've got a really tidy room, but what's going on underneath the bed? What's happening behind the wardrobe? Have you cleaned the shelves in the cupboard? We're doing a deeper work than simply a surface level cleaning. And that takes time. Our culture tells us you just need to tidy up the outside, make the outside look good and everything will be all right. Jesus tells us I've come to clean up the inside and that takes longer. And requires perseverance and requires you to stick with me for the long haul. My question to you this morning is, how's your bedroom looking? What's God's spirit asking you to work on with him? Where is he asking you to focus at the moment? What gradual transformation is he doing in your life? I would encourage you, spend some time this week, if you can find even five minutes, to reflect on that. Maybe journal, write a note, have a think about it, and ask God, how are we going to work on that area of my life, so that I can become more the person you created me to be? I want to finish by praying a prayer over all of us. It's a prayer that we find in Colossians, um, and I think it's really appropriate to um, what we're what I've been talking about this morning. Um, so if uh, I'd encourage you just to shut your eyes I'm going to keep sitting everybody um, but you just shut your eyes and I'm going to pray this over all of us as kind of a corporate response to what I think God is saying to us. So this is from Colossians 1. Heavenly Father I ask that you would fill us with the knowledge of your will through all wisdom and understanding that the spirit gives so that we may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way bearing fruit in every good work growing in the knowledge of God being strengthened with all power according to your glorious might so that we may have great endurance and patience and give joyful thanks to our Father in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.